and the Canadians are holding him. Degrasse, can he do it? Yes, he can. Gold to Canada. And after what a difficult season it's been for Degrasse, he tastes gold in the form. Hello and welcome back to the Shakeout Podcast presented by Canadian Running Magazine. As always, I'm your host, David Stahl, and on today's edition of The Rundown, Canadian running staff writer Marley Dickinson returns to help me break down the visceral highs and lows from Canadian elites at the 2024 Houston Marathon this past weekend. Now, as the weeks remaining to qualify for the upcoming Summer Olympics continue to pass us by, some of Canada's most decorated and proven marathoners are feeling the pressure of time constraints following this weekend in Houston while others seem poised to hit their stride just in time. In a race as long and demanding as the marathon, it doesn't take much to see years worth of planning go up in smoke following just a few difficult races. But with a full spring still ahead of us, there's still a sliver of hope. On today's episode, Marley and I break down Natasha Wodak and Leslie Sexton just narrowly missing their Olympic qualifying times and what that means not only for their spring seasons, but for Canada's marathon picture. We also talk about Rory Linkletter setting a half marathon personal best and how it'll prepare him for his upcoming marathon in February, where he'll look to hit an Olympic standard time himself of 2.08.10. Lastly, we break down a pair of Canadian elite men who made a shocking push towards a pair of marathon PBs, and we take a look to see who would be best to pair alongside Cam Levins in Paris to represent Canada at the marathon distance. Now, as always, Marley was such a blast to break down the scene with. He gave so many insights into the nitty-gritty logistics of what Olympic qualification even means, what it entails who we should be keeping an eye on this spring. So if you enjoy our conversation, please feel free to give us a five-star rating and subscribe. It helps us out a ton. You can also follow us at ShakeOut Podcast on all social platforms to catch clips and updates from the pod. That's TikTok, that's Instagram, that's X, that's Facebook. Wherever you are on social, so are we. So feel free to follow us. But for now... Enjoy my 2024 Houston Marathon recap with Mark. All right, Canadian staff writer Marley Dickinson once again returning to the rundown. This time to do a little bit of a recap of a very consequential Houston Marathon this past weekend. Marley, A, how's it going? And B, were you able to catch much of the action from last weekend's race? Yeah, no, I'm good. It's uh, it's glad to kind of be, have the season kind of up and running. And I mean, this marathon race with, you know, only Cam Levins and Melinda Elmo holding spots for the Canadian Olympic team in Paris. It's, yeah, it's wildly entertaining and we're kind of, running out of time so having four athletes five five Canadian athletes sort of elites kind of look chasing those times in Houston was 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 cool to watch it's crazy like you're alluding to there it was less so or I guess just as much about what was happening on actual race day as much as it was about those rippling effects coming out of race day as well and what that means for the rest of the spring season who's going to have to race where what times we're still chasing etc but before we dive into the nitty-gritty we're going to touch on athletes like Rory Linkletter obviously Natasha Wodak who had a really impactful day as well 
in such an eventful race, what was your biggest takeaway? Well, I would say for the, uh, for the marathon that the Olympic standards are really tough. I mean, <laughs> you know, only four men hit the standard. There was a really deep field. It's a world athletics elite label race. Only four men hit the standard and only five women ran the standard. And, you know, the weather wasn't entirely great. It was kind of around freezing, uh, at the start and kind of windy. So, it just showcases how quick, you know, the women and men are now. And I think uh, just the standards are, it's, it's, they're extremely tough and it takes a very good day to book your ticket to Paris. Even on a fast course. I mean, you said it, if the conditions are just slightly less than ideal, you might not have the day that you had trained for or expected to have. I know, obviously, we'll dive into her more, but Natasha wrote that, yeah, I had a great build leading up. Who knows what to expect? And then on the day of the race, you know, it's just there's such a small margin for error with that quick of a time. But before we dive into some of those full marathon times, let's start with Rory Linkletter. We mentioned him earlier. A six-second PB in the half marathon, 101.02. He's the only Canadian in the men's elite division in the half marathon. How would you grade Rory's day coming in, coming out of Houston? Uh, I'd give Rory a, a, a B plus, I think. Um, he went out there, kind of hung in until the final mile or so, and still was able to walk away with a PB. Uh he said he thought he was close to Canadian record shape, but the race kind of went out a bit on the slower side in the first uh, 10K. Um, so I'm sure like for him to go out there and be able to mix it up with a lot of, you know, of the top North American talent, um, probably gave him a lot of confidence. I mean, the guy who won the half, uh, Jamal Ymer of Ethiopia, he's a 208 marathon. And that's what Rory's going to need to qualify for the Olympics in Seville. So you mentioned it there. Seville Marathon coming up on February 18th. Based off of what you saw in Houston, do you think he has the fitness to hit that Olympic A or B standard? Yeah, I mean, the Olympic, like I said earlier to before, the Olympic standards are fast. And they're, and you know, a lot of, it's going to take a world-class run and a runner to, to get that time. And I think it, what works into Rory's favor is that there's only 62 men that have run the standard out of, uh, the standard out of uh, 80. So there's 18 spots kind of up for grabs um, that are on world athletics like, points. And with only so many marathons to come sort of this spring, there's only about sort of three, four, five where that people can run these standards at. I think it kind of plays into Rory's favor that if he can run under 209 or run like, you know, it, the goal is to get the standard and run the standard. But if he can run sort of under 209, which I think mm -hmm. he has in his, his arsenal, I think he can book his ticket to Paris. And like you're saying, there's only a handful of races even available for some of these men and women trying to qualify. I think for those who are just getting into following elite races, that's what makes this such an exciting chase down the stretch too, right? Where there is mm -hmm. also that time crunch for these builds that typically take such a large chunk of time in and of themselves. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's coming away with a, a PB on, on that sort of tough day, tough course. And I know this has been something Rory and his coach Ryan Hall have been working towards for a few months now is building that speed at the end of the race to sort of hold on and, and hang on to the gut, the guys that are coming in the top five, for example. So I think, yeah, this is a huge confidence booster for Rory and he should be, you know, he should, he can kind of 
kind of keep that momentum going into Seville and, and get through that sort of halfway mark and sort of 63 mid and just really put himself at the front, I think it, it can work out for him. Now, I'm testing your worldliness here and your international geography, but we do call you Mr. Worldwide for a reason, Marley. So are you able to let us know how the Sevilla course is going to compare to Houston? Is it a good indication of what he might be able to achieve? Or is it just you got to throw it up into the air? It's a drastically different race altogether. Ah, it's funny you say that because the Seville course is called the flattest marathon in Europe. So, I mean, it's, it is similar. There's only about, I think there's less than 50 meters of elevation gain throughout the 42 mm. kilometers. So it's a flat course, but something Rory is going to have to deal with that he did not deal with Houston. And I know he doesn't deal with in Flagstaff is it's going to be warmer. Mm. Um, so being able to kind of test your body on how that feels, maybe that's him going to run, you know, down in Phoenix or in sort of a warmer place in Arizona to do sort of long runs to get himself acclimated to that to that weather um in, in sort of the weeks couple weeks leading up to the race I'm, I'm not sure but i like it's something that he's going to have to deal with in seville that he did not deal with in houston but i think what he like he needs to take a similar risk as he did in houston he needs to go out with the leaders and stay there mm. um i think i think going out in sort of 63 low 63 high will give him give him a chance and just from that point, it's just like same sort of fight that he had in the final sort of, uh, you know, five, six miles of, of, of Houston. It's just hold on for dear life, you know, just like give it everything you got and, and yeah. just hold on and your performance will pay off. I think, I mean, we made the analogy yesterday in the office too, right? Of sort of marathon runners versus, or I guess elite runners to NFL quarterbacks in general, right? Where you can have such a solid quarterback that's just going to sort of move the ball downfield slowly, like never going to turn the ball over, get the ball to his receivers, but not be willing to make that big play. And often to win the big one, to win a Super Bowl, you need a quarterback who's willing to take a risk, throw a few interceptions, and try to make a big play. I think that's where Rory's at right now. It's like, we know you can move the ball downfield. We know you can put up such solid, impressive races again and again and again. It's just going to sort of be honing that muscle to take that big shot. And like you said, go out and, and be willing to put yourselves yourself at the front and compete with those guys. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he's in a tough position too. Cause I mean, two, like two Oh eight, 10, do I think he's capable of running that? Yes. But it is a huge risk to take, you know, cause again, if you have that bad day, you know, then they're like, like, like we saw in Houston with um, someone like Natasha is if you have that sort of, you know, muscle cramp or some, something come up, then it's it's a high risk and then you're like oh you feel kind of your olympic dreams kind of be, be taken from you so it's you're gonna like to to take a risk and accomplish a goal like to, to accomplish a goal you're gonna have to take a risk and you know as we alluded to with the nfl quarterbacks you know like patrick mahomes he throws a he throws a ton of interceptions so uh but you know he also you know you see him huck it down the field to a lot of his receivers as well and having the capability and not being afraid to do that keeps you in games and and keeps the defense on their toes, right? So I think having that sort of mindset going into kind of a high-risk marathon like this uh, should should pay off for him. And if there's anything that's going to act as a catalyst behind him rolling the dice a little bit more, it's this time crunch that we're talking about. And obviously, mm -hmm. you alluded to the potential of, you know, the half wasn't quite a national record. 
I think a big part of us eyeing that down heading into the weekend was the potential of Mo Ahmed and Rory going head to head in Houston. Unfortunately, we knew leading up into the weekend, you covered it yourself where Ahmed said, you know, after a great few months of training, I was really looking forward to testing myself over the streets of Houston against a great field, but he had to wait until next year. What was going on with Ahmed? What made him not be able to take part in the race on uh, on Sunday? So, yeah, it was it was kind of unfortunate. I guess in his last sort of training session in before Houston, he kind of just had a bit of hamstring tightness. Um, so he's kind of spoke with his coaches and his, um, then decided, you know, probably best for him to not risk it knowing the season of, of, of what's ahead this season. Yeah. Um, I think he's really going to – he's looking towards running the sound running 10 in March – uh, which is a 10,000 meter race in California um, to hit, kind of hit the Olympic standard for that. And I think, uh, I think that's kind of his focus going into Paris too. He knows that the 5,000 is incredibly deep right now. And mm. with Inga Britson, uh, Mohammed Katir, Joshua, check the guy, it's the 5,000 is completely loaded. And Mo, who's you know only getting older at this point knows that to win the 5,000 is you need that sort of top end, sort of 352 350 close mile kind of speed mm. which i don't think he, he i think he knows he doesn't have that right now so i think that 10,000 really he knows he can that's the event that he can medal in in paris and i think he's trying to set himself up sort of this spring to kind of do that and him taking a risk at houston was kind of to see sort of what he could do to have to give him a bit more confidence for that 10,000 mm. but I guess we're going to have to hold on to see uh, see his season debut. And, you know, it's smart. It makes sense in the immediate and the short term, especially we're in an Olympic year. But I think all of us were kind of salivating to see, OK, what can he do at an extended distance? I would love to see what he could do at a, a marathon distance in in a, a few years as well. I, I honestly think he would have won that race. You know, it might be a hot take. I know it's his first half, but... I don't know. It's the race went out a bit slow and I don't think, you know, I, I know Mo is a bit more of like, again, like a tactical winded up kind of racer, but this mm. race really played into his favor. And I think, you know, would he have challenged a Canadian record? Maybe, but I think with the winning time only being, you know, 60 minutes and, and around 40, around 40 seconds, I think he probably would have ran around that. Mm. Um, so yeah, it would have been kind of cool to see how it would have played out with him in the, in, in the race. Um, but obviously, uh, there's there's bigger fish to fry for him this season. Well, we got to petition to to have them run it back next year, back in Houston. <laughs> totally. Now, on the women's side, for the full marathon, Leslie Sexton, Natasha Wodak just missed out on those Olympic A standards by less than two minutes, with Sexton beating Wodak by 28 seconds in 2.28.14. What was your major takeaway from watching that duo duke it out on Sunday? Yeah, no, I I think hats off to Leslie Sexton. She had an incredibly gritty run. She ran it well. Uh, she she went out conservatively, ran a really good second half. And again, the conditions were kind of cold and windy. And with only five women sort of under the standard, and most I know most of these women kind of went out at sort of that 225, 226 pace. And, you know, only, again, five women were able to hold it for the entire race, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and with the leaders coming, like there was three women that were around sort of 220, so you know, there was only kind of two women from that pack that were able to kind of get that sort of 225 uh, time. Um, but yeah, no, I think 
I think Sexton ran it really conservatively, ran it smart. Um, I think this beating sort of beating Rodak, Rodak and, and kind of moving ahead of her in those final sort of 10 kilometers is a kind of a big confidence boost for her if she kind of chose to run another marathon uh, before the April 30th deadline uh, for Paris. Um, and especially too, I mean, she's, it's been kind of a long break for Sexton since she's last one around. It's been, I think it's been about a year and a half. Mm. So to beat Natasha and I know Natasha's had Leslie's number, uh, in the 10 K and the half marathon over the past couple of years. So this must be kind of rewarding for Leslie and must feel good to walk away. Even if it's a small PB, um, I think again, she does have sort of that two twenty six, two twenty seven in her arsenal. Again, it's just finding the right day. Getting prepped for today's episode. I was going back and watching a few old Leslie Sexton interviews after, you know, being the bridesmaid to Wodak's first medal finishes at, at a few different races. And in those interviews, she, you know, she's so gracious. But you can just see in her face like, oh, man, one of these days I'm going to best this woman. And, you know, she she got it done on Sunday. Natasha, obviously, on the other hand, she was on pace to come through with the Olympic standard with a time to spare through the halfway mark in the marathon. Do we know what happened down the final stretch of the race? Yeah, so Natasha said she uh, kind of started to feel sort of tight hamstrings and uh, cramps in her uh, calf, sort of around sort of 30K from 30 to 35. She said at point, like at that point, she could kind of feel her pace dwindling and she felt like her Olympic dream is kind of getting ripped away from her, which is completely frustrating. I, you know, I I think it's like any, I think every runner can, exp like any, any runner can kind of know this experience is when you have a goal and you can just, you can, or you have this race plan and it just doesn't go to the way you want it. And you just feel like, let's say if you want to run a sub 20 minute 5k and you just, you know, you start to look at your watch, you see the pace dwindle. And that's kind of how Natasha felt on Sunday in, in the second half. And um, she said it was, you know, a complete disaster uh, around 35k. And at that point she wasn't even sure she was going to finish the race. So I can imagine it's heartbreaking for her. And, you know, there's that's a really great example for listeners who, you know, your 5K race, you're looking down in your watch, you're seeing it run away. I think the tough part with the marathon is you're forced to watch that sort of tick away with 30 more minutes of hard work, 40 more minutes of hard work. And, you know, it's there's a 99 percent chance it's out of reach, but you still got to run strong and finish and all credit to her for such a gritty performance. You could see in a video taken by your partner on the sideline where she's, you know, he's cheering her on. He's giving her support. He's telling her, keep going. And and she gives a little head shake and she just kind of knows that, ah, no, I, I know it's out of reach. Mm -hmm. No, totally. And I mean, it's, she's, she's raced with grit for a very long time. And I think, uh, if she can mentally kind of get over or physically get over this performance the next two weeks, like maybe we can see her back out again. Um, but it's, she's kind of shown that grit too earlier at this world, at the world championships in Budapest, also a hot day, also a place that she wanted to run that standard. Um, but to grit at grit, she's like, she's known as a gritty performer and she's, uh, been that her entire career. Well, you mentioned it, obviously she holds notoriously the fastest women's time in the last two years but her canadian record 223 12 that's from the 2022 berlin berlin marathon that's outside the olympic qualifying window so again like you mentioned at the top of the episode she's on the outside looking in currently she wrote in the post leading up into the race look my a goal 
didn't quite hit it. Beagle, world champs, didn't quite hit it. This is plan C. And she said explicitly, there is no plan D. Now, that's following a great build before the race when she maybe didn't see this going down. From your perspective, do you think that mindset's likely shifted? What are her odds of trying to hit that qualifying time in what's now a fairly tight window? Oh, I think in if in her position, it's worth the risk. But it's like you said, it's a very tight window. It's a quick turnaround from uh, Houston to potentially London or Rotterdam, which would be in sort of mid to late April uh, before the uh, marath Olympic marathon qualifying window closes on April 30th. Um, yeah, she's going to have to get right back into it. And it's, it's going to depend on how quickly she can turn around and get over this race and how quickly her body recovers. Mm. Um, even if she, you know, runs the standard in Rotterdam or London, it's another incredibly quick turnaround for the Paris Olympics. Mm. And it's only, you know, three, four months time from, from Rotterdam to Paris. So, yeah, you know, I, a lot of people that are, have qualified for Paris are running in spring marathons, which might uh, be helpful to her um, in terms of finding other like deeper fields or people to run with. Um, but it, again, it's, it's tough to go from one race to another without letting your body recover. And, you know, she's, she's over 40 and it's, it's as you get older, your body just takes long to recover. And I think it's going to be really tough to get these three races to turn around, not only physically, but mentally, but I really would like to see her on that Canadian Olympic team in Paris. Well, you mentioned it too. I think there's such a different aspect, obviously physically and mentally from, okay, I have a spring marathon ahead of Paris as a tune-up or a fitness check versus the mental weight and stress of okay i need this in order to book my ticket to paris which would be her approach versus a lot of other athletes who again don't have those stakes behind their spring marathons yeah like houston was her chance i mean she's she completely right about that and looking back should she have run worlds last year i do not know um i mean uh one thing with training for the marathon i know we've talked about this in the past is you can do everything you can in training, but one thing you can't predict is the weather and how your body is going to feel on that day. Yeah. Um, and what the training is, is obviously getting your body to feel the best it can on that day. So I think for her to be able to run again, like if her Sexton or to, were to do a spring marathon, they, they would have to run the standard. I mean, there's only seven or eight spots out of uh, the 80 that mm. will, will have not been at, decided on or that have, will be decided on points so it will take yeah like a low 227 or the stand or, or again the standard to be on that canadian olympic team and when we look at sexton look you mentioned it she returned to the distance for the first time in one and a half years of course she also fell short of the qualification and as well as Lainey Marchand, who raced for just her third time this year and came in at 238.32, if you had to guess, out of these women, who will be joining Melinda Elmore in Olympic qualifications? Because again, like you said, we only have one spot taken up right now. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, Andrew Sakafian, she just announced, she just... <laughs> announced with us that she's going to be running uh, the Tokyo marathon in March. She has a half marathon PB of 69, uh, 69 minutes and 38 seconds. So I think, you know, I, she's coming back from injury, but I think 
I would love to see her be on that Canadian Olympic team mm. in Paris. And I think she deserves it. And it would be exciting to kind of see, you know, where she's at and, and kind of her stepping up to this distance and having that comeback. So I think she has a potential chance to take that, uh, achieve that in Tokyo. And yeah, if like, I'd love to see Sexton run another race um, in the spring and get some, again, again, getting sort of a deeper feel with some better conditions, just kind of get inch towards that 226, 227. I know she probably has it in her arsenal. It's just, again, finding that right day. But, you know, the most difficult thing is, is that, like I said earlier, the Olympic standards are really tough and 226.50 is, is hard. And only three Canadian women have kind of beaten that mark. So mm. it's, it's yeah, it's going to be extremely difficult, and and you know it takes it's going to take you know a a lifetime best to get on that Canadian Olympic team. I love Andrea's that sort of wild card pick. We'll see how it shakes out in Tokyo. Now on the men's full marathon side, Tristan Woodfine came away with a small but mighty PB of two ten thirty nine, but couldn't quite become the third Canadian to break two ten alongside Cam Lemons and Trevor Hockbauer. But how would you grade his day overall? Yeah, I, I I think Tristan had a great run. So I'd give Tristan probably an A or an A minus. Um, he's really struggled with the marathon distance in the past and has taken several attempts at it since running his previous PB at the 2020 London Marathon. We I interviewed him last year at the Ottawa Marathon, and he told me that he hasn't quite mastered the marathon, and he was still kind of, you know, playing with fueling and and you know had a bit of stomach stomach issues in the past. So I think for him to kind of have this performance in Houston and be able to know that, okay, I can run with some of these elite marathoners will really kind of get him into a lot more of those world athletics, elite elite label marathon races like London, Chicago, or New York. He also started with a new coach last year. He's now coached by uh, former Canadian Olympic marathoner, Reed Coolset. So sort of having Reed, have him as guidance. They both ran at Guelph to have that connection and have Reed's kind of expertise with the marathon and be able to kind of give that to Tristan um, must be pretty rewarding and know that um, it must give him a lot of confidence too, just to, to know that having to have someone like that in his corner. Now, another differentiating element, I think, from Tristan's training leading up into the race was this focus on 5k and 10k road races that, may have helped prepare him for Sunday. Do you agree that maybe those helped tune up a little bit of the speed leading into the race? Oh, 100%. I mean, uh, if you don't know Tristan, he trains mostly on his own. So being able to sort of race and test your fitness at, he, I know he runs a lot of Canadian running series, 5Ks and 10K races and, and you know, wins a lot of those. But being able to do that is is probably a lot of confidence, gives him a lot of confidence and going into these sort of, higher elite fields like Houston. So I think he probably has something like 208 eventually in his, mm. in his realm. And I'd love to see it's kind of this performance, get him into some place like Chicago uh, this year. Um, so a hundred percent. Yeah. It'll be exciting to see where, where he takes it next year. I think, Maybe the surprise of the whole weekend from a Canadian standpoint was Thomas Broach coming in so close to Woodfine at 211.48. Correct me if I'm wrong, coming in with a sub-elite bib as well, chopping off almost five minutes from his personal best from this year's TCS Toronto Waterfront Marathon. Marley, coming in, was Thomas one of the 
guys that you had your eye on or did that performance sort of surprise you as much as it did me? Oh, hundred percent. I, I did not know Thomas had that dog in him, uh, <laughs> but you know, now if I look back and think about his performance in Toronto, where he ran it pretty much solo for the entire time, I'm um, like, okay, maybe like, you know, get him, get him some more runners around his caliber and, and, and kind of see kind of what he can do. And I mean, look at that. Like that's like, that's a huge PB to have on that stage. And I think now his, his two eleven will get him into some deeper fields and um, give him the opportunity to run faster. And not to take anything away from obviously such an incredible performance, but I think it kind of also goes back to what we were saying in terms of Natasha's situation, almost the inverse, right? Of happiness is a product of expectations and going in, I don't think that there was this blinding spotlight on Roach entering the race and, I think a lot of the time it's a bit of a superpower to just be able to run free, go out there, trust your fitness without the stakes feeling super, super high. Oh, no, 100%. I mean, yeah, if if, if you were to t- tell me last week that Thomas Broach would run 211, I would be like, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, you got to you gotta break 215 first. Yeah. So, uh, but to take a step like this is huge for him. And he must be, I know him and his Vancouver Thunderbirds kind of training group must be so happy for him. Now, taking a step back, in an ideal world, hypothetically, which men do you think would give Canada its most competitive chance this summer in Paris alongside Cam Levins? Well, if you want my honest answer, I'd probably say Mohamed. But we know he's not going to be stepping up to the marathon uh, by the Paris Olympics. But yeah, no, I, I, I would love to see Rory there. He's one of the hardest working guys kind of marathoners out there and he's a really gritty racer. I think his, the way he runs really matches up well for the Paris course. Cause it's not going to be fast. It's, it's a very hilly race. And yeah, um, he's kind of, I think he's kind of the number two Canadian marathoner right now. And he didn't, wasn't on the Canadian team in Tokyo. So kind of giving, having this opportunity to run for Canada and Paris would be great for him. Um, but if there was another man that is, is deserving of the third and final spot in the Canadian men's marathon team, it's Trevor Hoffbauer. Mm. Uh, he had some personal events kind of come up just before the Tokyo, uh, Tokyo Olympics where he's running the marathon. Uh, so, you know, he was, he wasn't all there. Uh, yeah. I think is what he said after the race is his mind was kind of somewhere else. So I just think he deserves a second opportunity. Um, you know, he, he will have to run another race and I I'm, I'm not sure he's kind of revealed what race he'll be doing yet this spring. Um, but I would love to see him sort of throw down sort of that low 209, high 208 time that could potentially get him into Paris. And someone who's obviously, like you mentioned, been on that stage before, regardless of performances in Tokyo. Just I think being under that spotlight and understanding it is is such an advantage in and of itself but again like you said i would love to see rory take on a technical course like that i think it would really play into his favor too i love that oh, now for, for sure i think like again we like we saw last year world championships he loves to he loves to just race run conservatively and pick guys off in the second half and paris is going to be kind of infamous for that because everyone's going to go out with kipchoge and kip dumb and <laughs> They're going to run fast in the first half and run a, you know, a huge positive split. And then yeah. Rory, you know, will not go out with the league group, but will continue to kind of pick guys off in the second half and somehow yeah. 
somehow find his way into the top 15, which would be a very like a huge run for him. So. Like you said, that's exactly what we saw at, at World Champs as well. Now, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a question partially for me and partially maybe for, again, some of those listeners who aren't too familiar with the elite running scene or the logistics behind it. We're talking about A standards, B standards. They have to run this within this window. From an inside perspective, someone who covers these logistics regularly when it comes to olympic qualification for canadians is it just too confusing of a system are there changes that you would like to see implemented or do you think it works as is are we going to get the best athletes out of this system by the time this summer rolls around yeah yeah i i I, yes and no i do think i do think the system is very confusing um, and I do think the marathon is one of the easier ones to understand. And mm. I also think right now with the marathon, with, you know, the way that Kitham and Hassan on the athletes at the top of performing, these standards are to make events at the Olympics competitive. Mm. And it's to make sure the athletes who are there are deserving to be there. Um, so I am, you know, I'm completely for the tough standards. And, um, but, you know, the way that the point system kind of works is very difficult to understand. Um, but the way that the marathon standard has kind of played out so far is, you know, there's been over 60 men and women that have hit the standard um, on both sides. So it's going to be the people that are going to be in Paris are people that have run the standard. So it's, and I think, again, it's knowing Paris is that tactical course, anything can play out. So, but I do think that uh, the point system is difficult and that world athletic needs to kind of make more sense of it Mm. um, because it's, you know, we're all fans of the sport and it's very hard for kind of, again, like a lot of Olympic fans are tuning in or Fairweather fans, right? They may only watch the Boston Marathon or they may only watch World Championships or the Olympics. So if you're not tuning into every marathon, you may be out of touch with how the world athletic system works. And, you know, I completely understand that. (laughs) Um, But it's getting a simpler process of like, okay, like, this is what works. This is like, this is the standard. This is how, you know, the point system works and how uh, people that don't have the standard can qualify will make it a bit easier. Um, so I, I'm not sure how world athletics can do that. I yeah. often, uh, I often kind of point towards the tennis format on how the ATP and WTA kind of system works where, you know, you get, it kind of takes a standard out the window, but you kind of get performances, you kind of get rankings where based upon at majors, for example, like, you know, Boston, Chicago, New York, London, mm-hmm. Tokyo, uh, Berlin, you know, these, these runners are scored based upon their finishes there and have world rankings based upon that. Yeah. So I think having a system like that will make the process a bit easier to understand. So if, you know, let's say Melinda Yelmore is pale sing in the top three in Berlin, that's kind of gets her like an automatic qualifying spot because mm-hmm. it gives her, yada yada amount of points for that sort of performance um you know like if if roger federer is winning tournaments he's going to be you know at the top where if if he's kind of losing in the first rounds his ranking is going to drop and he's going to get as much points so kind of having this kind of format like that would make definitely track and field and olympic qualification easier to understand i love that and i think one thing i don't want to lose is exactly what you pointed to and that is the competitiveness and the ceiling of it right because again we're seeing at the top end of 
any distance, but to use, you know, the marathon as an example, we're seeing two hours nearly get smashed in Chicago and it being alluded to that the goal is to smash it this upcoming year in 2024. And I don't, I, I think making sure, like you just said, when we get to the biggest running stages in the world, we have athletes around these top end competitors that are able to challenge them, that are able to push them to their absolute best. That's what the Olympics and those world stages is all about. I think I I say that for amateurs who, you know, there are frustrations around how much tougher it is each year to get into New York and Boston. And I kind of look at it and go, that's awesome. That makes everybody train a little bit smarter, a little bit harder. Runners are getting faster. People are getting fitter. And we just kind of got to uh, adapt around it. No, 100%. You, 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 you said it well. Now, to close us out, Marley, for fans wondering which upcoming races might be most relevant, which ones they should be sort of marking on their calendars for athletes like Natasha Wodak to try to sneak in that qualification, maybe which races should they be watching out for? Um, as we kind of alluded to earlier, the Tokyo Marathon is going to be really cool with, you know, Olympia Chogi headlining and Safana San, but also uh, Andrew Sakafi making her marathon debut. Mm. I think it's going to be really exciting to see her back on sort of the world stage and also her kind of taking on a new distance, um, especially with, you know, so many spots up for grabs um, on or two spots up for grabs on the women's team. I think like, you know, it'll be, it'll be kind of cool to kind of have that excitement around, around Tokyo. Um, so March market challengers for March 3rd for that one. Uh, but I also think Rotterdam and London are going to be, as it comes down to these final few months, the final two weeks of the marathon qualification window, Rotterdam and London, which are both in late April, are going to kind of be a major race uh, where we're going to see these fields kind of finalized. Um, and, you know, those Canadian marathoners that are, are kind of inching towards uh, wanting that sort of third and final spot on those teams, it, we might be able to see it at those races. And obviously, like we touched on earlier, watching Rory at Sevilla to that's going to be yes. uh, an yes, electric race. He's already <laughs> locked in that one. So that's less of a, a projection per se, but one that we, we mentioned earlier, that's going to be excited to see how it shakes out. And obviously we're going to be circling back with you in the, the weeks and months to come to keep projecting down towards Paris and, and everything else we have going on in the running world. Marley, as always, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, David. My pleasure. All right. Talk soon, buddy. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for tuning into our 2024 Houston Marathon recap. As per usual, huge shout out to Marley for taking the time to chat. It's always such a blast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us at Shakeout Podcast on social media. That's TikTok, that's Instagram, X, Facebook for clips and updates from the program. It helps us out a ton. In the meantime, happy running. And we'll see you next week. On top of the podium, but it's not the hosts. It's their northerly neighbours. And somehow, after an awful year of injury, DeGrasse comes out on.